The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. All right, good morning, Fathom Church. It is great to be with you and my privilege to be able to bring in God's word today. Um, Boy, blessings on baby Lenny. Just been praying for that little girl and and Lord, just have your sustaining power uh, and healing power on her even right now. Uh, So just so good to see how well she's doing. Anyway, we're going to jump right into God's word. We got a lot to cover today. I do see there is a clock here. I was thinking there wasn't going to be a a clock. um, So I guess I am responsible for time. Um, Anyway, we're going to jump right in. We've been going through a series on 1 Samuel. So if you want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the last part of that chapter today, starting with verse 27. But as you're turning there, I wanted to tell you about an article I read this week in the uh, on the Desiring God website, and it was an article by Philip Holmes, and in this article, he told about a publisher who uh, was about to uh, put the next, um, uh, the next, what do you call it, version, whatever, out, and there was still some space in the magazine he needed to fill, and so he put the word out to people he knew to see if somebody would help out and put something in. So he had a friend who responded and took out a couple ads, and here's what one of the ads said. Wanted, somebody to go back in time with me. This is not a joke. P.O. Box 322 Oakville, California. You'll get paid after we get back. Must bring your own weapons. Safety not guaranteed. I've only done this once before. (laughs) Well, of course, Philip said this was a joke, and uh, people who understood that responded appropriately. But what's amazing is the amount of people who responded who thought it was real and wanted to go back in time. And the fascinating thing is the reasons why they wanted to go back. So you would think they want to go back to meet some famous person or, or see this uh, historical event. But for most of them, they wanted to go back because of a regret that they wanted to undo. What if you could go back in time? Are there regrets that you have in your life that you would want to undo? In our passage today, We're going to look at the life of Eli. He's coming to the end of his life. We heard last week that he was an old man. And in this passage, God is going to confront, accuse, and judge him. And as I read this passage, all I could think of, because Eli does not respond at all in this passage, all I could think of is Eli hanging his head and thinking, woulda, coulda, shoulda. I should have done this. Why didn't I do that? And all I could think of was Eli left with just regrets. Folks, Scripture and the stories in Scripture are given to us so that we can learn how to live right, learn to live to honor God, so that we can have a life of blessing. And then there are stories in here of people who did not do that, who did not live well, who did not make good choices. And what they are left with is God's judgment and regrets. And so we can learn from these stories. The beginning of Samuel, we learned about Hannah who did well and God, had God's blessing. But now we're going to see with Samuel the results of his choices 
And the question is, even in this passage of judgment, are there things that we can pull out? Are there keys that we can learn to do in order to live a life of blessing and not a life of regret? So let's jump into our passage. 1 Samuel 2, starting with verse 27, says this, And there came a man of God to Eli, and he said to him, Thus says the Lord. So we got to stop there because it's like, what's going on here? You've got Eli, who is a priest of God, and yet you have a man of God coming to him to give a message from God. It's like, what's happened here? Eli, you're not hearing from God. Have things gotten so bad that God no longer is speaking to you and he has to send somebody else to give his message to you? It's kind of like if the FBI shows up at your door, ring the doorbell, open the door, men in black suits, sunglasses, FBI. At that point, you're thinking somebody's in trouble. And so we have the stage set with this man of God showing up at Eli's door. And then let's look at the background, kind of a reminder of what brought us to this point. So last week, Chris, remind, Chris went through the passage, and in there we learned, yes, Eli was the high priest, but he had two sons, and it says of these two sons that they were worthless men. Some of the passages say they were scoundrels. They did not know God. In essence, they had gone over to the dark side. They took advantage of their positions, positions to steal and take advantage of the women who served in the place of worship. They were actually leading people away from God. They had no regard for God whatsoever. And we learned in the passage that Eli does confront them, but that's all he does. He just confronts them. And so with this background now in mind, with this prophet showing up, what we see is God now comes to accuse Eli and to judge him. God has decided enough is enough. And the hammer is about to fall. And so once again, as we look at this passage, I want us to pull out things that we learn, keys that we can do and practice in order to have a life of blessing and not regret. So what's the first thing? The first key. You and I need to learn to remember. To remember God's blessings. Let's look here back at the scripture so the man of God shows up, says, thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh, that I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear the ephod before me. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. See here, God actually does something amazing. He takes Eli back and reminds him of all his blessings. And what that's going to do, it's going to make his sin even worse. God did all this for you, Eli, and you did this with it? And that's part of God's accusation against him, is him reminding him of the blessings. And we see here the blessings were, first of all, salvation. God brought the people out of Pharaoh, out of slavery, and then God gave him the position of being the intercessors between God and people. They were in a position of power and influence. When I was a kid growing up in Africa, um, in the country of Uganda, the uh, Pope actually came to visit 
that country. And I remember going down to this airfield where the Pope was going to be, and there were thousands of people there waiting to see the Pope. That's the position Eli and his sons were in. They were in a position of influence. They were famous in that country. And not only that, it tells us they had that blessing, but they also had the blessing of provision through the sacrifices. A portion of all the sacrifices went to the priests. That was God's provision for them. But as we learned last week, Eli's sons abused what God had blessed them with. What God had given them the portion wasn't good enough, and they took the portion that belonged to God. And now God lays all this as evidence against them. So here's the question, Fathom, for you and I. Do we remember God's blessings to us? Do we remember that all we have comes from him? Do we see that our time, talent, treasure, positions, relationships, opportunities are all given by God to us to enjoy, but with all those blessings come responsibilities? To use all those things to honor him. Do we see them as blessings? Because if we don't, our hearts can easily move to discontent, to comparisons, to thinking we don't have enough, to thinking what he has blessed is really not a blessing. Our hearts can move to discontent. John Piper said this, sin is what you do when you are not satisfied with God. If we don't continually remind ourselves that what we have is a blessing from God, our hearts can move to discontent, and discontent can lead to sinful choices and decisions. Take our marriages. If we become discontent, if we don't see our spouse anymore as a blessing from God, our hearts move to discontent and discontent to choices of seeking to fulfill our needs elsewhere in other inappropriate relationships. If we're single, we may be discontent in that, not seeing God and all the blessings he's given us. And so we seek to fulfill our needs in any appropriate relationships, relationships that don't honor God. Or with our jobs. If we have discontent in our jobs, if we don't see it as a blessing of God anymore, do we not give our full effort and ability towards our boss and our responsibilities there? In essence, are we taking time and effort and energy away from our boss? And what about our finances? God, you haven't given me enough. So I've got to work more. I've got to work harder. And as a result, we neglect our family or other responsibilities. Or maybe we don't go to that side. Maybe we swing to the other side And it's like, God, you haven't given me enough. Therefore, I'm going to start living on credit. As a realtor, when people come to me, one of the first things we do is like, okay, have you talked to a mortgage person? We need to know what you can afford and if you can even get a loan. And I tell you what, I'm so honored to help people that have done well with their finances. And I'm so proud of them because they have taken what God has given them. They have been responsible with their finances. They have put savings away. They have done well with credit. And as a result, they're able to purchase one of the best investments you can make. And then there are others who come to me and we run through the whole financing and we find out 
that their debt-to-income ratio is way off. They've run their credit way up. They've lived on credit. And as a result, they cannot enjoy the blessing of owning their own home. Fathom, forgetting God's blessings in our lives can lead us to choices that can result in our lives being filled with regret and not blessing. One of the things, exercises, I know I need to do personally on a regular basis is remember God's blessings. And here's how it plays out for me. As as a realtor, I'm self-employed. And so there isn't somebody else generating work for me. And there are times where, you know, I face this, okay, there's no more clients, no work coming up here. And, and I'm a natural worrier. I don't know if you are, but I'm a natural worrier. And so worry and stress and fear, it's like a cloud that starts to descend upon me. And I have to stop and sit down and go, you know what? I need to step back and go, God, I got to remember your blessings. I got to remember, look back and say, you have been faithful in the past. You have provided for me. In fact, I got to remind myself, he is my provider. Nobody else is. And then I got to recount all the blessings he had given me. And you know where I usually wind up? Man, God, I don't deserve all you have given me. My heart is filled with blessing. And as a result, it changes my attitude. It changes my perspective. It changes my motivation as I move forward, as he brings new clients. It's like I need to honor him and honor them in how I live, how I work. And I have to remind myself of that. So the first way we learn to live a life without regret and a life of blessing is by remembering all that God has done for us. The second thing we see as we move on in our story is we need to repent. Look at verse 29. So God has reminded Eli of the blessings. Now here come the accusations. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel. See, God brings his charge here and he confronts Eli of his sins. You know, when I first read this, I thought, wait, God, you're being unfair to Eli. Last week, we learned that it was his sons that were doing all these sins. And Eli actually confronts his sons. So it's like, okay, isn't Eli doing the right thing? Isn't he innocent? So why, God, are you bringing your charge against Eli? Well, through this passage, we see two things. And the first thing is this. We got to remember Eli's position. He was the high priest. Not only that, at this time, he was the judge. And so he was not only the religious leader, he was a civil leader. And the ultimate decisions to uphold Israel's morality and spirituality fell on him. That was his responsibility. God has blessed him with great privilege, but there was great responsibility in the position that he had put him in. And instead of confronting and following through with his sons, he confronts but does nothing. Did you notice here? He says, why then do you scorn my sacrifices and offerings? Not his sons, you. The word for scorn here, it's actually a pretty vivid word. It means to kick. And it's the image of a ox or a donkey that is 
uh, not trained, has not been broken, and you try and put the bridle in its mouth or the yoke on its neck, and it's just kicking and thrashing, it's just stomping everything. That's the image here that we have of what, how God views how Eli is treating the sacred things of God. By not following through, by not doing what he's supposed to, he is actually kicking, stomping. He's being disrespectful of the things of God. And the word here, the tense that is used, actually means it was a habitual thing. See, we're only given a little snapshot through this. Eli's an old man now. But since it was a habitual thing, this is something that had been happening throughout his life. Eli's inaction was actually an affirmation of his son's sins. And instead of Eli repenting, he lets it go on. The second thing we see is that Eli actually was benefiting from his son's sins. Did you catch that here? The second part of verse 29, he says this, um, and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest part of every offering of my people Israel. See, we see that Eli was honoring his sons, but he was doing that because he was benefiting from it. The choicest parts were reserved for God, and Eli's sons were stealing from God, and Eli was benefiting from that. And it has the word, the word here has the idea of lining your pockets, feathering your nests, taking these things and benefiting from them. It would be like one of our kids, maybe they work for Amazon, and they would come home from work and they had all these boxes. And you're just like, wait, did you forget to deliver these? They said, no, I, I just took them. You know, Amazon doesn't pay me enough. And I thought, you know what? They need to compensate me more, so I'm just going to take these things. And you're just like, wait a minute, that is stealing. You should not do that. And then they start to open the boxes. And you see all these great electronics and clothes and shoes and jewelry. And they say, yeah, you know what, dad, this, these actually shoes, they, I think they fit you. Why don't you try them on? So you try them on. It's like, well, yeah, these are pretty cool. I like these. You shouldn't do that, you guys. And day after day, they keep doing that. You shouldn't do that. But what'd you get today? That's kind of the idea of what's going on here. It's benefiting from somebody else's sin. And we see this happening in them. And they steal these things from God. And Eli does not repent because he's actually gaining from it. I'm wondering if that's the case for us. Are there things that we are doing and taking away from God that belong to him and dishonoring him in the process? This actually, the context of this is in the worship, the place of worship. And so the thing that came to my mind, the question that came to my mind, we talk here at Fathom of giving our first and our best because God gave us his first and his best. We talk about that in terms of our time, our talent, in our treasure. In fact, last fall, as we were going through the book of 1 Corinthians, we learned that God has given all of us gifts and ability that we are to use to build up his body here, the church, to honor him by using that. 
We've been given resources that we bring as an offering, our first and our best as a thanks, as a praise for what God has given to us. And the question is, when we don't do that, when we hold those things back from God, are we actually honoring ourselves above God? When uh, a couple years ago, when Chris asked me to be an elder, um, I said no. And uh, here, here are some of the reasons where I was uh, wrestling through that at that time. I had been an elder for many years at a church, both as a, either a staff person or as a lay person. And it's just like, you know what? I've done my time. I, I'm, you know, somebody else can step up. The other thing is the last time I was an elder, it kind of an, ended in a painful way. And I was just wrestling through a lot of that still. And then I'm trying to get this real estate thing going. And it's just like, I don't have time. How am I going to build a business and try and also be an elder? And at that point, I said no. And, and actually, at that time, it, wasn't, it was the right decision to make. And then in 2019, our church went through some difficult things. We lost a bunch of people. In the beginning of last year, Chris was back, and, and Eric, bless his heart, had, had helped our church through all that we went through, but he needed to go on sabbatical. And Chris came back to me at that time, and said, we really want you to consider being an elder. I did battle with God again. God, I can't. Here are the reasons why. Boom, 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 boom. And it's like God started to convict my heart. There's a need in the body. And you are one of those who can step up and help the church at this time. And the questions that came into mind was, do I love God and do I love his church? when there's a time of need and will I step in? And I had to actually spend some time just kind of repenting of my excuses and step up and become an elder to honor God in that way. It wasn't an easy decision. I'm not saying these things are easy, but I needed to honor God first and not hold back what I needed to give to him, my offering to him, my sacrifice to him. Folks, ultimately what kept Eli from honoring God above his sons was his own sin and his not dealing with it. Here's what Barnes says in his commentary about this. What restrained Eli from taking vigorous action to vindicate God's honor was his unwillingness to lose for his sons the lucrative office of the priesthood. He was, he was willing to rebuke them. He was grieved for their misdeeds but he was not willing to give up the wealth and plenty which flowed into his house from the offerings of Israel. Fathom, not dealing with our sin, not repenting on a regular basis, will result in bad choices and a life of regret, not a life of blessing. So that's the second key. We not only learned, need to learn to remember, but we need to repent. And then finally, we get to the third thing here, and that's we need to learn to revere, to revere God. So here we have God confronting, reminding uh, Eli of all his blessings. We, we have the accusation in verse 29, and now comes the judgment. And this is really sad, but let's look through this. Verse 30, therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, 
I promise that your house and the house of your fathers should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off the house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you that I shall not cut off from the altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out and grieve his heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of man. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be a sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And then jumping down to verse 36. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. God now pronounces judgment on Eli. And what God does as a just God, the punishment fits the crime. Eli, I gave you these positions. You, you, you did not handle them well. You actually abused them. And as a result, the position's gone. I'm taking that away from you. You dishonored me. So I'm gonna strip honor from your house. And that whole thing of, of no old men in their household, in that day and age, those who were older were considered wise and there was honor in that. So to not have somebody older in your household was a dishonoring thing for them in that day and age. God strips them of honor. You became gluttonous, fattened yourself. You're gonna experience poverty and hunger. And finally, the ultimate punishment, death. You remember what Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says? It says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Eli's sons mocked God and now would receive death. Eli mocked God and dishonored him and now would receive dishonor, poverty, death. So the question as I read through this whole judgment thing is, is there hope for us? Is there something even in this judgment that you and I can take out that can help us do well to experience God's blessing and not a life of regret and judgment? Did you catch what it said in verse 30? Try and find it here. I will honor those that honor me. Folks, for you and I to do well, we need to learn to revere God. It says in this passage, we need to learn to honor God. Now, of course, I had to find an R word, you know, so it all fit together. So revere, but revere and honor, they're synonyms of each other. Revere means this, to regard with respect tinged with awe. Honor is high respect as far as worth, merit, rank, and it means to revere. See, in their day and age with this word, revering, honoring had the idea of weight. Something that was valuable, they, they regarded it as heavy or weighty, substance to it. 
And that, for us, you know, it's hard for us to get our minds around that. But there's a phrase that we use that comes from this. That thing is worth its weight in gold. And they would have known that because if they were to buy something that was worth a lot, they would have to actually bring their coins, their silver and their gold coins. I mean, they would feel the substance, the weight of that thing. Something would be worth its weight in gold. A few, uh, well, a while back, I had a friend of mine who uh, talked about this classic car that he had. And he had bought the thing, they'd moved here, he had driven it here, he had put it in his garage, and it sat there for 10 years. And as many things that sit in the garage for 10 years, it, everything just gets piled up around it. And, and his wife got frustrated with that. She said, you got to do something with this car. You got to get rid of it. If you're not going to drive it, if you're not going to get it going again, you need to get rid of it. And she knew I was a car guy. And so she said, you know what? You need to give that car to John. Let him deal with it. Let him take care of it. And he told me that, and I thought, score. This is going to be so good. A classic car. That thing's, I mean, he must think a lot of me because that thing's got to be worth a lot of money. And so here it is. Got this thing. It's about this big. Um, You know, to get in the thing, I had to put the top down and kind of slide into it. But got it going, had a lot of fun with it. But then I started looking at the value of it. 79 MG midget, not worth a whole lot. You know, I fixed it up, sold it, maybe made a few bucks on it. This thing is not worth its weight in gold. Now, if he would have given me a Camaro or a Firebird or a Ferrari, now he would have really thought a lot about me then, right? Anyway, isn't it interesting how we put value in certain things? What happened at the beginning of COVID? What became one of the most valuable things for people? Toilet paper. I think people put shrines up in their garages for toilet paper. It became very valuable. And we go, that's crazy. And yet, don't we do that? We put weight, we put honor, we, we, we put value on things. But here's the question for us. How much do we honor God? How much do we value him? And I thought about this in terms of the weight and gold thing. How much would I be, this is kind of crazy to think, but I think it's a good application. How much would I be willing to pay for God? Would I give him my all? Is that how much honor he has in my heart, in my mind, that he's worth my all? Isn't that the most, the most valuable thing we can do or put value in is giving it everything, our all to it? I think we forget sometimes how worthy and how honorable God is. Revelation 4 is this passage. It gives us this picture in heaven and and the angels and and all the creatures in there. And they are just daily, continually worshiping God. And it says this at the end. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created they existed and were created. And we know from scripture that God only, not only created all things, he holds all things, to, he sustains all things. If God for a minute would stop sustaining this world, that would be it for us. Just that alone, isn't he worth? Isn't he priceless? How do we view God? Folks, when we forget the value he has, and we don't revere him, 
It leads to us to put in our value in everything else. And as a result, that leads to choices many times that move us away from him. And one of the keys to that we see in the verse that I didn't read in verse 35, it says this, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. That's how we honor God, is being faithful to do what's in God's heart and mind. And to be able to do what's in God's heart and mind, we've got to know what's in God's heart and mind. Last fall, we did a series on the disciplines. That's why we do practice daily Bible reading, getting into this, knowing this is what is on God's heart and mind. And if we're not continually in this book trying to understand that, we will then instead, what we put our heart and our mind, our focus on, will determine how we live our lives. And if we don't focus on this, if we just buy into everything the world says, as a result, we're going to wind up like Eli and his sons with a life of regret and not a life of God's blessing. So even in this passage that is a judgment passage, you and I can pull truths out of it to help us learn to live well. So the question for us is this. Are we on a regular basis remembering God's blessings? Are we on a regular basis repenting when we go off track, when we aren't honoring God? And then finally, are we revering God? Are we honoring him by doing what's on his heart and his mind? And this week, as you face this week, what are some things you need to do to move towards God's blessing and away from a life of regret? Let's pray. Lord, your word is quick and powerful and sharp. It says it penetrates our hearts and our minds. It's there to guide us, to convict us. And so, Father, as we've read your word today, Father, it's a passage on judgment, Father, and you will hold us accountable. But, Father, there's also grace and hope in the fact that you give us the tools we need to do well, to honor you with our lives. And so, Father, now as we move to our time of communion, of worship once again, pray that you would just stir in our hearts those things that we need to know in order to live a life that honors you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.